Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 2. If you are new with us, we are in this series that we have entitled King of Hearts. We took a break last week. We had Ron and Jody Zappia with us from High Point Church. Uh, Their church is in Naperville. They have four campuses. They did a marriage workshop for us last Saturday, and then Ron spoke on Sunday. So thankful for them. So we took a break from this series, and now we are back in it. This is our third week in this series. If you're new with us, let me explain what I mean by that title of the series, King of Hearts. We are walking through 1 Kings 1 through 1 Kings 11, not the entire book, but 11 chapters, the first 11 chapters of that book, really looking at the rise of Solomon. Solomon was the king of Israel and experienced the most success of any king of Israel, uh, really that has yet to be, knowing obviously that does not mean that Solomon will experience more success than Jesus will one day when he rules and reigns and comes back one day. But in all of Israel's history, Solomon experiences greater success than any other king. And so in 1 Kings 1 through 11, we see Solomon's heart for the Lord, to want to serve the Lord, to want to acknowledge him as the king of his heart, so to speak, and, and to see the blessing that comes from that. But unfortunately, what we will see as we work through the chapters ending in chapter 11 is that Solomon does not keep seeking the Lord with all of his heart. He allows other things to come in and to take precedence in his life, in his heart. And we not only will see the rise of Solomon, but we'll also see the demise of Solomon. And as we look at this life of Solomon in 1 Kings 1 through 11, what we're doing is really reminding ourselves of a truth that when the Lord is the king of my heart, in other words, when the Lord is first place, when he's the one that I'm seeking, when he's the one that I'm submitting to, when he's the one that I'm obeying, when he's the one that I'm really going after with all my heart, then I get to experience the blessings that come in that relationship with the Lord and Him being first place in my life. And unfortunately, when that is not the case, and I choose to put someone or something in that place that only the Lord deserves, which by the way, that's called idolatry. But when I'm living that way, the consequences that I experience in my life that come, when I begin to think that I should be the king of my life, when I begin to think that this or that should be the king of my heart, and so we're looking at this passage of Scripture in 1 Kings 1 through 11, just reminding ourselves of how do I pursue the Lord with all of my heart? How do I make sure that on a daily basis He's the King of my heart? And how do I avoid the temptation for something or someone to take that place that our Lord rightly deserves so that I can avoid some of the consequences that the Lord does not desire me to experience in my life. So 1 Kings 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 this morning, just four verses. But in these four verses, let me just set them up because David in these four verses is giving Solomon his last words. I don't know if you've ever had uh, a time in your life where you've sat by the bedside of someone and heard their last words. Maybe you have. Maybe it's been a mom or it's been a dad or it's been a grandfather or a grandmother or aunt or uncle or maybe a a beloved friend and you've been at their bedside and you've heard their last words and you've been in a room where the family has gathered around and, and that's such a somber moment, is it not? And it's a time that here's what I've found and I've 
I've had some instances where I have been in a room like that. Here's what I've found, and I don't mean to say this um, in a flippant way, but never in that time is someone literally asking everyone in the room, what's the weather today? Nobody's asking that. Nobody's asking, hey, what'd you have for dinner last night? What'd you do? No one's, no one's asking that. For sure not the person that is on their deathbed. You know what I've always found? Is that someone's last words are very important words. They're words that you are tuned into. And they're words of instruction. They're words that someone wants to say, hey, I just want to let you know this. I just want to remind you to do this. I just want to communicate this. They're words of instruction. They're serious words. They're words you want to pay attention to. You know, probably some of the last words that I remember best is, you know, I was very close with my granddad. Um, You know, we just, a group of us guys gathered together yesterday for somebody's birthday party and we played some basketball and, you know, when you're over 40, you know, I've said this before, a good game is can I get in the car the same way that I got out when I'm done, right? <laughs> right? Um, and I was even thinking about this when I was driving home, and I was thinking about my granddad and thinking about the last words that we were going to look at today, and, and my granddad was someone who taught me sports. My dad was never big in sports, and so my grandfather was the one that really introduced me to that. And I remember when I was five years old, him taking me out to a parking lot See, I'm a pastor's kid, and so when I was five years old, my parents live in a parsonage. That's a foreign term right now, so let me explain what that is. So a church would often own a house that the pastor would live in. And so we had one of those, and outside in the church parking lot, there was a basketball goal just right outside our house. And I remember my grandfather taking me at five years old and giving me a basketball. He didn't even give me a smaller basketball, like one of those little basketballs. He gave me a full-size men's regulation basketball, five years old, and was teaching me how to shoot that in the hoop. Didn't start on a seven-foot goal or eight-foot goal. Like, we're starting at 10 feet. And I remember taking that ball and trying to reach that hoop in it, not even coming close and getting frustrated. And I remember at five years old, I remember this vividly, like wanting to go into the house and I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And my grandfather stopping me and saying, wait a minute, you're not going inside. We don't quit. I remember him saying that. And then I remember like fourth grade, you know, you're in these little, little peewee leagues and you're playing these little leagues and you ever coach one of those? Like you're just happy if the kids know where to run, right? And not shooting the other person's hoop. And I remember fourth grade, like my grandfather sitting in the car, we, in this league I was in, it was outside and I remember getting that car, fourth grader, I don't remember how old I was when I was in fourth grade, but fourth grader getting in the car and saying, grandpa, how'd I do? And he would literally be critiquing my game. Like, well, you need to do this, you need to go over here, and I get sometimes frustrated. He'd be like, yeah, but you don't quit. And I say all that because I remember in 1990, 1990 is when he passed away. And I remember sitting on the back porch before they moved back up to Indiana, and they knew they didn't have long, and that's where their burial plots were. And I remember sitting on the back porch of his house, and he had, he had brain cancer. And I remember sitting on the back porch of his house and having that, those last words, And I remember being keened into those last words. I remember listening. I was only 14 years old, but I remember this was a serious time. I wasn't going to have this time again. And I remember being clued into every word. And I remember hearing him once again say that, that he said to me ever since I was five years old, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. And there's been many times in my life where I've wanted to quit. 
And I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that felt that, that has felt that way. And I remember I always would always and will always hear those words of my granddad saying, don't quit. Here's why I share that story. Because those words were really foundational in my life. Because there was his last words. And the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, as I've already said, are David's last words to Solomon. But I want you to think of them more than just David's last words, a father to a son. I want you to think of them as God's words to you. Because after all, it's part of God's word and every word of God is important. And so as we read these last words of a father to a son, I want you to think about how these are important words that God wants to say to you. So let's look at 1 Kings Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and it starts off with this. It says, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong. That word strong means courageous. And show yourself a man. Because I was studying that this week. I was like, what an amazing phrase, right? Like, what a great t-shirt. Be strong and show yourself a man. Anybody ever watch Home Improvement? Remember that? Remember that show? Like, like when I say these things to the band, many of them were in the mind of God during that show. But uh, I think I could get an audience here as I'm parenting out. Remember that show? Like when they would do manly something manly, what would what would Tim do? He like right, right. So when I read this, I don't know why it always comes to me. I'm like, be strong and show yourself a man. Such an awesome verse, and we're gonna unpack that. But this is. Solomon hearing this from David, aren't those awesome words that every dad ought to be entrusting to his sons? Son, be strong and show yourself a man. Now he's going to tell him how to do that, verse 3, and he says, keep charge over the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish his word as he spoke concerning me saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in the faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Here's the title of this message this morning if you're taking notes. The key to strength and success in your life. Now here's what I know. Here's what I know. There is not a person in this room that doesn't want strength and success in your life. You don't even have to believe in Jesus this morning. And I promise you, if I walk down any of the streets down Coliseum or University Parkway and stop someone and said, hey, do you want strength and success in your life? I wouldn't find one person who's in their right mind who would not say, absolutely, we all want that. But here's what I love is we're going to see in this passage of Scripture how we experience that. See, here's the idea, and then I want us to pray this morning. It's this, strength and success, and we're going to define those two words. Strength and success in your life are contingent upon who or what is the king of your heart. Notice contingent. 
So strength and success, I will not experience those things as we unpack those things today, that that is not an unconditional promise. No, 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 they're contingent upon something. They're contingent upon me living in such a way to where the Lord is the king of my heart. And so me experiencing those things depends on who or what is in that place. So would you pray with me as I pray aloud? And what I want to encourage you with is to pray this. Lord, would you show me who or what is in the place that you alone deserve to be? Lord, we're here today to hear from you. Lord, we have a phrase that we say at this church that when your word is open, your mouth is open. So Lord, when, you open your, when we open your word, it's not as much as praying that you would speak as much as it is, Lord, would you help us to obey what you say. Lord, I thank you for the men and women who have given their lives that tomorrow we will just have in the forefront of our minds the sacrifice that so many have paid through so many years so that we can experience the freedom that we have today. Lord, I thank you for those in this room whose loved ones have paid that price. And Lord, we acknowledge their sacrifice. Lord, we pray for the many who have friends and family that are overseas right now. Lord, would you protect them as they are overseas to to protect this great country that you have allowed us to be a part of. Lord, would you work through the Holy Spirit to show us, Lord, who or what is in the place that you rightly deserve in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember how I said I wanted to find those words because we said what? Strength and success are contingent upon who or what is the king of our heart. So let's define what strength and success is. Because if you look again, look at it in verse 2, David says to Solomon, be strong. What does that strong, what does that word mean? It means courageous, but here's what it's referring to. The courage to obey what God's word instructs for your life. That's the idea. That's what David is communicating to Solomon. Solomon, you need to make sure that you are, you are being courageous. Courageous in what? Courageous in obeying what God's word says. Every part of it. See, we just need to, can we just call the obvious? And that's what I want to do this morning in regards to this point is this. It's not easy to oftentimes obey what God instructs us in his word, is it? Not always. It's not always easy when you're at a crossroads and you're like, man, I could do this and I know it's wrong. I know it's not what God says, but man, it seems a whole lot easier than doing what God says. God, God is over here telling me to wait, to not pursue that relationship because that relationship, I know according to God's word is not right, but, but man, I don't want to be alone. So uh, do I obey God's word and wait for the right person and focus on being the right person? Or do I go after this relationship that I know is with someone that doesn't love the Lord and doesn't want to seek him and is, is, is tempting me to do things that I don't want to do? And you're in that struggle, right? And it's not easy. I mean, we can name a million different scenarios found in my life. It's not always easy to obey God's word and to trust that doing what God's word says is indeed going to lead to what is best in my life. It's not always easy. And what does it take? 
it takes courage. It takes courage to say, I'm going to do the right thing even though I may not experience immediate positive consequences. Listen to me. Anyone that tells you that sin is not fun is lying. It's fun for a season. It's fun in the moment oftentimes. And so often when we are at a crossroads of do I obey God's word or do I not obey God's word, it's often in that choice, do I seek immediate gratification or do I obey and do what is right knowing that it is indeed best even though I may not see it in the immediate. And David is telling Solomon, Solomon, it's so important that you're strong. It's so important that you exercise strength. It's so important that you exercise the courage to do what you know is right, what God's word instructs for your life. But then we mention this other word, right? Success. Strength and success are contingent upon who or what is king of my heart. So why do I say success? Well, look at what it says at the end of verse 3, because here's this conditional promise that David gives to Solomon. He says, if you're strong and you show yourself like a man and you do what's found in verse 3 that we're going to unpack here soon, what is the result? That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you are. Now, some of you are like, man, this sounds familiar to some other verses, in the Old Testament, you'd be right. When the Lord tells Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous so that you will experience success. Same word that's used as prosper here in verse 3. Deuteronomy 31, Moses says that to Joshua. Same type of idea. So what in the world does this word success mean? Because here's where our mind often goes when we see prosper or success, financial wealth, right? Oh, if I do this for God and do that for God, then it's like this exchange system. God, I did this for you. So God, let me write out my list and let me write out all the things that I want. Yeah, I'd like a house with a bigger, more square footage and I'd, and I'd like, you know, this type of car, and I'd like really for this deal to go through, and, and God, I'm going to do this for you so that I can get that promotion. Isn't that what we oftentimes think when we hear the word prosper? And there's this convoluted theology out there that says that God wants you to be rich, and if you're not rich, then you must be doing something wrong. Like, it's so twisted, because when you actually look at that word in the Old Testament, It does not refer to financial prosperity in the context that it's used in the Old Testament. It doesn't. Some of you may, it doesn't matter how much you wish it would, it doesn't. Here's what it actually refers to in every time that it's used. It refers to succeeding in godly endeavors. God's direction, God's will for your life. That's what it always refers to. I don't see, here it says, you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Like you accomplishing what God desires for your life. See, that's what success means. Experiencing God's desired outcomes in your life. See, if I was to say to you this morning and you're married, if I said to you or asked of you, does God desire you to have a, have a, healthy and fulfilling marriage, everyone would say, absolutely. So what does God do? God puts in his word how you achieve that. 
Does God want you to have healthy relationships with with those that you have in your life? Absolutely. So what does God do? God puts instructions for you to experience that. Does God want you to be wise with your finances? Yes, he does. So what does God do? God puts instructions in there for how you can achieve that. Does God want you to have a great sex life with your marriage partner? Absolutely. So what does he do? He puts instructions in there on how you achieve that. You see where I'm going with this? So success is literally you experiencing God's desired outcomes for your life. And that's why we say strength and success are contingent upon who or what is the king of my heart. When the Lord is the king of my heart, then I'm going to look at the king's instructions and say, I want to obey these because I want to experience God's best for my life. So how do we do that? Well, David's going to give Solomon the instructions, and I think God's going to give us instructions for how we do that today based on what David shared with Solomon. See, here's the first way that we experience the strength and success of the Lord in our lives. And I'm going to draw your attention again to the end of verse 2. And I'm going to read this phrase again that I love. Be strong and show yourself a man. Now, think about this before I give you this first way that we experience strength and success in our lives. David is telling Solomon in all essence, Solomon, it is time for you to man up and embrace God's destiny for your life. And I'm not saying that because Solomon was somehow living against what the Lord wanted for his life, but literally David's saying, Solomon, it's time. I'm dying. I'm going to be dead here soon. And it's time for you to be strong, to be courageous, and to live in the destiny that God has given you. It's time to show yourself a man. And when I read this phrase this week, and I was studying this phrase this week, it made me really say of myself and examine my heart and saying, Johnny, are you showing yourself to be a man of God? And so I pose that question to you. Like, think about this. Think about these are the Lord's words to you. Be strong and show yourself a man. We can also say, be strong and show yourself a woman. A woman of God. A man of God. And it's unfortunate, I'm going to speak more to the men on this than to the ladies because, and and the reason for that is this, not that I want to hound on guys because I am one, but there is a problem that we have in the church today that we do not have enough men showing themselves to be a man of God. I remember I did college ministry when I graduated from seminary, little school, Mansfield University in northern Pennsylvania, and we started a co- there wasn't a college ministry on there, and we partnered with Crew and, and got that started. And here's the thing that burdened me so much when I was in that ministry, and it's no different today, is the amount of ladies that would have a heart to want to grow in their relationship with the Lord and how few guys seem to express that same interest. wonder, guys, you're in this room, and it doesn't matter if you're a college student, a high school student, maybe you can be 70 years old. But you know what the Lord is saying to you? Be strong 
and show yourself a man. It's time to man up. See, the first way that we experience strength and success in our lives is this. Number one, identify our reality. See, David shares with Solomon his reality. Solomon, you're about to be king, and if you're going to be king over God's people, then it's going to take courage. It's going to take you, to be, it's going to take you being strong. It's going to take you to exercise courage and obey God's instructions for your life. It's going to take you to operate as a man of God. This is your reality, Solomon. Embrace it. Identify it every day. And the lesson that I see for us is for us to look at our lives and identify our realities today. And when I say reality, I don't mean that we're gathered here at the 11 o'clock hour at 610 Coliseum Drive. That's not what I mean by reality. I mean, where are you at right now in your relationship with the Lord? Call it what it is. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't rationalize it. Don't excuse it. If you're like, man, I'm experiencing such a healthy relationship with the Lord, then celebrate that. That's your reality. But I wonder how many of us have been living in a false sense of reality. I think the biggest danger to us as followers of Jesus Christ is a lack of self-awareness to what our reality is. We oftentimes excuse things away. Well, I haven't had a consistent time with the Lord, and I say in life group every week, yeah, I, need to, I know I need to do that, but I end up showing every week, and I'm like, yeah, I know I need to do it, but I haven't done anything about it. Well, then stop excusing it away. Stop rationalizing it, saying, oh, somebody else said that in my group too. I guess we're okay. Like, let's identify it. This is something that I need to address. This is something that I need to stop excusing away. I need to identify my reality. And for us as men, unfortunately in our culture today, we are fed this as what I thought was interesting. I want to say it exactly the way this A sociology professor says it, whose name is Michael Kimmel. He's at the University of New York at Stony Brook, not a believer as far as I know, talks about this Peter Pan version of masculinity, where it's like, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to embrace responsibility. I don't want to be settled. I don't want to embrace my reality and live with the reality that it's time for me to grow up. It's time for me to move out. It's time for me to start pursuing my relationship with God. It's time for me to be a man. And there are so many guys, maybe even in this room, if this is true of you, and I say this out of love, that need to put down the Xbox controller and pick up the Word of God and start pursuing Him as your greatest treasure. Nothing wrong with video games, but we live in this reality where my fantasy becomes my reality. I can't think about what I'm going to do for a job. I can't think about what it looks like for me to grow up. I'm not even going to think about, well, I'm not really engaged in God's Word. No, no, I'm going to continue to live in my fantasy. I promise you, there are single ladies in this room that want to shout amen from the rooftops, that there would be some men 
who would show themselves, as David says, show themselves a man. There's some wives in this room that want nothing more than guys for you to show yourself to be a man of God. And I don't say that out of pounding on you. I say that out of love. Listen to me. It wasn't until, I remember when I went away to college, and I was a pastor's kid living in a glass house, everybody watching everything I do, everybody scrutinizing everything that I did, like, like you know, growing up in this legalistic culture, like, and then going to college, which I went to a legalistic college, so it's not like I went to a you know, state school, but at the same time, you know what? It wasn't until my, between my sophomore and junior year, you know what, that I really, God gave me a wake-up call and said, it's time to stop playing the fool and it's time to start being a man. It's time to start seeking the Lord for you, not because your parents told you to. It's time to go after the things of the Lord for you in a way that you haven't. See, what the Lord was saying in my life was just what David is telling Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man. Guys, here's what that looks like for you. You know, God's called you to be the spiritual leader of your home if you're a husband. How about just starting and and saying, hey, I'm going to get into God's word every day. You know what? I'm excited. Here's the deal. We're going to give a practical way that you can actually apply this message at the end of today. But how about this? Just asking your wife, hey, what'd you get out of your time with the Lord today? Or maybe even a step lower than that. Just saying, hey, before we leave, we're going to pray together. Show yourself a man. Identify your reality. Ladies, you may be in here and your husband has been praying for you. That you would be the woman that God wants you to be. that you would exemplify those qualities that are found in Proverbs 31, whether that was a literal woman or whether that was an illustration of what God desires a woman to be, that those would be qualities that you would want to seek after. But it begins by identifying your reality. Stop excusing it away. Stop rationalizing, saying this, this is where I am right now. It's not pretty I'm not celebrating it, but I'm going to be true to what my reality is. This is where I am right now. I don't have a desire right now to be in God's word, but I'm not going to pretend that that's not the reality. I am struggling in this. I'm struggling in that. I'm going to identify it. I'm going to call it for what it is so that I can begin to be ready to experience the change that God desires me to experience it, but identifying it and being real with it and calling it what it is is the first step. And it takes courage. And it takes strength. Here's the second way that we experience the strength and success of the Lord. First of all, identify it. Call it for what it is. This is where I am today. This is what needs to change. And here's the second way, and it's found in verse three because notice David doesn't say to Solomon, Solomon, here's my last words, be strong and show yourself a man. And then he dies. 
By God's grace, David just doesn't elaborate on what he wants him to do. He tells him how to do it. And that's what the Lord does with us. Look at what it says in verse 3 again. It says, and keep charge over the Lord your God. Here's how you do that, Solomon. Keep charge over the Lord your God. We'll explain what we mean by that here in a minute. Walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn. What did we find success? That you may experience God's desired outcomes in your life, whatever you do, wherever you turn. See, here's the second way. Number two, apply God's word to your reality. I'm going to identify it. I'm going to call it for what it is. I'm not going to excuse it away. I'm not going to rationalize it. God, this is where I am today. I'm going to submit to you. This is what needs to change. But now I'm going to look for ways to apply your word to my life so that I can experience change. I remember when I was in high school and, you know, like we do here, you know, high school, we went away to camp. And, you know, you get, you know, you're unplugged. Now, we didn't have cell phones back then, but you're unplugged from TV and movies and all that stuff. And you're like going to chapel in the morning and hearing God's word in the morning and hearing it in the evening. And then you're with your, your counselor during the day. So you're just getting like baptized in truth. And then at the end of the week, right, what are you doing? You're kind of reflecting on what the Lord said to you, where you are, identifying it, where do I need to change, and for whatever reason, I don't know if all the camps communicated with one another on what you're supposed to do on the last night of camp, but every camp I've ever visited, whether I was in high school or out of high school taking other kids to camp, you know how that, you always have some fire and you throw some stick in the fire, right? I don't know. I don't know where they told everybody this is what you do at the end of camp, but I've never been to a camp where that hasn't been done, and I remember doing that. Say, man, there's some things that the Lord's identified that I need to change. And throwing that stick represented my life like, Lord, I'm giving everything to you to use, a, to use our series title. Lord, I'm going to make you the king of my heart. And I remember my youth pastor saying something to me that stuck with me all these years when I come to passages of Scripture like we're reading today. He said this. He's like, you know, I'm so encouraged by all the things that the Lord has shown you that need to change in your life. But here's what you need to remember. You haven't changed yet. You've identified it. But when you go home, that's where the work happens. And I think oftentimes we get confused that when we come to a service or, or we're in a small group or we're even in our own time with the Lord and we're reading his word and we're like, ah, oh, Lord, there it is. That's what I need to change. And then we close our Bibles and we go on with our daily lives and somehow we think because we've identified the change that we have changed. But no, identifying it is only the first step. Applying God's word to reality is where the work begins. And notice you have this phrase. Remember I said we were going to explain it in verse 3 where it says, keep the charge of the Lord your God. Here's what that literally means. It means to keep the obligation of the Lord. Now, when we hear that, we think obligation, like that means I have to, not I want to. But that's not the idea here. 
When Solomon, or when David says to Solomon, Solomon, I want you to keep the charge of the Lord your God, what he's saying here is I want you to understand that your obedience is fueled out of gratitude, not guilt. And how many of us is that our Christian life? Maybe that's the result of our upbringing. I don't know what it is, but oftentimes we view obedience to God's word as, oh, I need to feel guilty again. Oh, I'm constantly being made to feel guilty. Nobody likes to feel guilty. I'm made to feel guilty, and I'm allowing guilt to be the motivation. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen anyone be motivated to do anything because I made them feel guilty. Do you know what motivates obedience? And and David points it out to Solomon is when I understand that I have an obligation to the Lord, not in a I have to, but an obligation that motivates me saying, man, I want to. Because let's remind ourselves of what we looked at in chapter one. Adonijah, according to tradition, had the right to be king. See, he was the next in line. It would have assumed that Adonijah was to be king. But God had a different purpose. God chose Solomon. Even though Solomon wasn't the next in line, God said, I want Solomon to be king. So when David says to Solomon, Solomon, keep charge of the things that the Lord wants you to do out of obligation, he's saying to Solomon, Solomon, remind yourself that your motivation to do what God has said is reminding yourself that God chose you to be king. It's out of thankfulness that God gave you this opportunity. And it's the same and true, same thing in our Christian lives, that my motivation to obey the Lord is bringing myself back to the reality that I did not deserve to have a relationship with God. I was a sinner. I was without hope. But God chose me. He opened my eyes to realize that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, rose again for my sins. God chose me to be one of his children. And our motivation to apply God's word to our lives is not guilt, it's gratitude. But look at what he continues to say in verse three. He says, okay, so we're gonna expound it even more. We're gonna peel the onion back even more. And here's what that looks like. Walking in his ways and keeping his statutes and his commandments and his rules and his testimonies. Now, be honest. When you read that, you're like, geez, oh, Pete. Like, like it already said like to keep you know, charge of the Lord your God, and now I gotta not only do that, but I gotta walk in his ways and keep statutes and keep commandments and keep rules and keep testimonies. Like you're already starting to feel bogged down, don't you? But here's what you need to understand that all of those words, there's really not significant meaning in one word versus the next. What David is just simply saying is, Solomon, it's important that you obey everything that the Lord has said. It's not a buffet. It's not pick and choose what I want and what I don't want. No, 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 Lord. You're the king of my heart, not a piece of it, all of it. And I think if we're going to apply God's word to our reality, not only does it need to be motivated out of gratitude rather than guilt, but we need to see obeying God's word as something to experience God's blessing rather than something that is burdensome. Right? How many times do we open God's word and we're like, oh, it's going to be a killjoy. It's going to tell me what I don't want to do. 
rather than, wait a minute, Lord, this is the way to experience blessing. This is a way to experience a healthy marriage. This is a way to experience relationships that are life-giving. This is a way for me to experience and avoid so many landmines that are there in life. And the culture is saying all these things that are going to bring me happiness and contentment, but they never do. Like, Lord, let me see your word as a blessing, not a burden. And why do I say that? Because Solomon says, hey, you want to prosper, Solomon? Then obey this. Now, here's what we need to understand. Did David obey God's word explicitly? Nope. David's done things that I hope none of us would do. Did Solomon? No, I already told you the spoiler at the beginning of this message. Can you apply God's word to your life without making any mistakes, without sinning, without going your own way from time to time? Nope. But see, that's the blessing of Jesus. That's when God's grace steps in. Because if you read verse 4 of 1 Kings chapter 2, David looked at this as Solomon. Not only do you need to obey God's word because it's going to allow you to experience strength and success in your reign, but it's also so God will keep his promise that my lineage will last forever. See, David didn't understand that this was an unconditional promise by God. But God did. See, Jesus stepped in to do what David couldn't do, and Jesus stepped in to do what Solomon couldn't do, so that that line would last forever through Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you today that if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I need to, I, I've messed up, I excused my reality, and I'm under conviction that I need to call it for what it is, and I need to begin to engage in God's word again and spend time with him and look at God's word and say, God, what are you saying to me? How does it apply to the situation that I'm in? What are you telling me to do about it? And you're feeling overwhelmed with that. I'm here to tell you that God's grace is your answer. So you have referred to this before, it's this gravity of grace. It's understanding that God's grace flows to your lowest point. So it doesn't matter how many times you've messed up before. But that shouldn't be something we desire to do. We may be living in some of those consequences that have come as a result of us going our own way and not being obedient to God. And we're living in those right now. But I'm here to tell you, that's not the end of God's story for you. God wants your story to be a story of grace. And that involves me confessing and repenting of the sin that I may be in right now. See, confession is acknowledging my sin. God, I'm going to call it for what it is. We talked about that. I'm going to identify it. But then I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to see it the way that you see it. And I'm going to change my mind. And I'm going to turn the other way and go the way that you want me to go. I'm going to put you again in your rightful place in my life and say no to the way that I was living before. That's repentance. And our Christian life is a life of that. See, that's part of applying God's word to your life. When every head bowed and every eye closed... Because I know I've talked about a topic today that I think if you have a pulse, you would say to yourself, man, this is an area that I need to identify and call it what it is. And 
apply God's truth to that area. You know, next week we're going to be talking about opportunities for you to get plugged into a Bible study this summer, which is literally all designed. We have Bible studies for men, for women, for mixed men and women together that are literally going to help you develop a habit of being in God's Word. You'll be able to sign up for those next week, but today's about examining your heart. Where is it? What do you need to call it for what it is? Where do you need to say, Lord, this is where I need to change? Where is God saying, show yourself to be a man? Show yourself to be a woman so that you can experience that strength and success that the Lord wants for your life.